You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn this morning, first of all, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 11, the verses 1 to 13, and then the Gospel of John chapter 17, the verses 20 to 26. As you may know, there are two versions of the Lord's Prayer in our Bible, one in the Gospel according to Matthew, which is the longer version, and here in Luke 11 we have the shorter version, probably meaning that on different occasions our Lord Jesus taught His disciples and followers about prayer. Now let's turn then to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Here we have the Lord Jesus giving his, what is called, high priestly prayer. And then toward the end of this prayer, beginning in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I preach to you this morning from the Word of our God as the Church confesses it in Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith then our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added, who art in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, a whole new year has dawned. A whole new time period is upon us and many challenges lie ahead of us. And so how shall we face the dawning of a new year? And what do we need, what do we need with respect to the future? Some of you will say, I need health. The key to the future is good health. And there is a lot of truth in that. You may have a lot of great plans and ambitions and some really neat intentions, but if your house fails you and you become sick, not much of that will come to pass. Health is a basic necessity if we are to face the future and if we are to enjoy the future. Still, some of you might have another answer to the question of what we need in the coming months. You may be of the opinion, I need money. And to some extent, that too makes sense. You may have great plans for 2008, but usually great plans need great money. Without it, you can do a lot of dreaming, but not much else. So as much as we may hate to admit it, Money is also one of those basics. We may scorn it, mock it, but in the end, we still need it. But if health and money needs are right up there for the future, so is relationship. And what do I mean by that? Well, you may have health and money, but what good are they? if you have no one to share them with. In life, I have met people who had had health, but they had no friends, no relatives. In life, I've also met people who had money, but they had no friends except fair-weather friends who clung to them because of their money. And so relationships, good, healthy relationships do matter. And now, beloved, I'm sure that we can all add some more basic needs to the list if we are to thrive in the year of our Lord, 2008. 
But nevertheless, there is a sense in which this kind of list-making fails. In what way does it fail? Well, it fails when it comes to the real needs. For you know, as needful as health, money, and relationships may be, there is something that is even more needful. There is something even more necessary, more basic, and more fundamental. And what is that? Well, it is the need to live a life of prayer. Now, you might ask, why is that more basic? Well, because ultimately all things, things also like health, money, and relationships, all depend on prayer. They all depend, in other words, on God. They all need God to open wide His hands. They all need God to hear, to give, and to bless. And how does God open his hands? How do we receive his gifts? Scripture says it's all connected to prayer. Did Lord's Day 45 not remind us of that last time? Does it not say that God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts? And isn't that what we heard in our scripture reading of Luke 11 just a moment ago? Ask, and you'll receive. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. So are we not being told here to ask God? Does it not tell us that we need to ask Him for everything? All the things we need for body and soul. And so, beloved, when you ask what is now our basic need for the year 2008, you can say our basic need is prayer. It's the need to call on the Lord. It's the need to seek Him, to look to Him, to bow before Him, and to speak to Him humbly, expectantly, confidently, daily. That's the best way to approach a new year, as well as the real way to act in this new year. Now, of course, some of you may be a little confused. On New Year's Eve, I told you that our motto for 2008 should be keep watch. And now here, several days later, you're telling us that perhaps we should have a different motto, namely pray. So which is it? Keeping watch or praying? Well, actually, it's both. Those who watch also pray. And those who pray always watch. Praying and watching go hand in hand, but of the two, it is praying that sustains and supports our watching. Nevertheless, beloved, all of that is based on a lot of assumptions. Some would say perhaps it's based on presumption. How do we know all of this? How do we know that prayer really is this important? How do we know that God will hear? How do we know that He will answer us? Are we perhaps living in a world filled with wishful thinking? No, beloved, look, we have a Savior. And the Savior teaches us also about prayer. 
He even gives us a model prayer. By now, it is an old prayer. It's almost 2,000 years old. But still, it remains a model prayer. It's a model prayer because of its marvelous content. And it's a model prayer also because of its marvelous beginning. Beloved, let's turn to it now. I preached to you on the theme, a new year and an old prayer. And we shall see that the Lord Jesus teaches us to begin our prayer with Father, our Father, and our Father in heaven. Now, beloved, as far as we know, it was not very often that the disciples of the Lord Jesus came to him and asked him to teach them something. Still, one day they did come to him and they asked him to teach them how to pray. And he, for his part, takes their request seriously and comes up with another example of his his brilliance. For in our scripture reading of Luke 11, he uses just 38 words to teach them Pray. Yes, using a mere 38 words, he comes up with a prayer that includes almost everything. Everything that we need for our daily walk with God and everything that we need for our life with our neighbor. Truly, the Lord's Prayer is a most remarkable prayer. Yes, and you can see this right away. Look, for example, at how it begins. It begins with one key word, and that one key word sends a huge message to all of us and to all of God's children throughout the ages. I'm referring to that word, Father. I'm not sure if you've ever really taken the time to dwell on that one word. Have you ever... Reflected on it, savored it, rejoiced in it. You know, if it had been left to people generally, they might have come up with a beginning or an opening line, something like, Oh, great, inscrutable cause of the universe. Or, Oh, great, ground of all being. Or, Oh, God, our mother. Or, oh, unknown God of the universe, or, oh, God, if you are really and truly out there. Or for that matter, beloved, if it had been left up to us Christians, we might have come up with the following opening. Oh, Lord, or, oh, God, or, oh, God Almighty, or, oh, God, all-wise, knowing, and all-glorious. In other words, it wouldn't have been bad, at least those last suggestions, forget about the first ones, but it wouldn't have been brilliant. For that's what the word Father really is. For consider the message that it sends us. In the first place, it reminds us right away that we are His children. 
that there is this relationship between us. Of course, one can say that in a way all people are his children because he is the great creator of all. But you know, the biblical message is is much deeper than that. For it teaches us that while it is great that God is our creator, it is far greater and better to know that we are his children, not in the same place or just through creation, but also through adoption. For it is by the grace of adoption that we know our sins to be forgiven. That we know that the estrangement between us has been removed. That we are no longer aliens and strangers, as Paul says, but sons, children, and heirs. Consider, for example, the wonderful words of Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Or what about John, 1 John 3, verse 1, and following how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Or what about answer 33 of the Catechism, which says that we are children of God by adoption through grace for Christ's sake. You see, beloved, by beginning his model prayer, With that one word, Father, our Savior is reminding us of our special status. And of course, there's a lot to that status. As the adopted children of God the Father, we also receive all manner of blessing. There is, for example, the blessing of His His love. This means that God is not opposed to us. He's not indifferent to us. No, it means that He loves us and that we are on the receiving end of His love. What we receive from Him, whether that be material things or physical blessings or spiritual gifts and benefits, they're all ultimately gifts of His great love. And then I know that in this connection it's popular these days to speak about God's love being unconditional. However, I would prefer not to use that term, which because of all of the misunderstandings it sometimes creates. And besides, nowhere does the Bible itself use that kind of terminology. But rather let us speak as Scripture does about God's steadfast love about God's covenant love, about his chesed, about the love that never varies, that love that's described, for example, in Psalm 103. And the love that we see especially in the sending of his Son. For really it is in and through Jesus Christ that we really see the love of God for us 
in action. That he should send his only begotten son into our world, clothed with our flesh, surrounded by our enemies, charged with our rescue, dying in our stead. What is that but love? Amazing love. How can it be? To be convinced of God's love for you. You just have to take a good, hard, long look at his son. And you will see it. You just cannot miss it. And something else, you will not miss God's understanding either. Because God is our Father, He loves us, and He also knows us. And that means He knows that we are but children of dust. He knows that we do not live as we should, talk as we should, or think as we should. He knows how prone we are to fall and stumble and to compromise. And you can be sure He knows that we will drop the ball from time to time in 2008. But nevertheless, he will not lash out at us and reject us. Again, Psalm 103 comes to mind with its gentle words, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, astounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. Is God always pleased with us? Do we always live up to his expectations? Do we never grieve him? Does he never need to discipline us? Of course not. What father does not discipline his children? The only fathers who do not discipline their children are negligent, indifferent fathers. Sometimes our heavenly father sends hard things our way. But then, for some obvious or perhaps not so obvious reason, We need it. But does it also mean that he is done with us? No. Never. God's children may be done with him. But he's never done with them. Think of Psalm 30 verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. How reassuring. His father loves us, knows us. He knows what we need. And that brings us to another quality of this father. He knows that we need protection. A father knows that not only are we traveling through a broken world, but we're also traveling through a hostile world. The world doesn't love the children of God and neither does the devil nor does our very own flesh. 
We are a besieged and embattled people. Just pick up your newspaper almost any day and read it. Every day there are stories about Christians being attacked or about Christian values being assaulted or about Christian teachings being ridiculed. The world is not a cozy and comfortable place for us. Only when we disguise who we really are and not let our true colors show do we find a measure of calm and acceptance. For the rest, and as a child of God, it's tough out there. And God our Father knows this. And that's why there are so many psalms that speak about our Father as a refuge, a hiding place, a shelter, a fortress, a help. Psalm 46 comes to mind with its God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And therefore we will not fear. Psalm 91 is another case in point. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Beloved, it's only by the power of God that we are kept It's only because of the faithfulness of the Lord that we are not forsaken. It's only because of the help of the Father's Spirit that we do not succumb. God the Father keeps us. And one last thing God the Father always provides Always, this is something we're best reminded of when the Lord Jesus speaks in His Sermon on the Mount. There's a part in it about insecurity and worry. Yes, and we know, don't we? We know how to worry. We worry about our house, and we worry about our children and our grandchildren, and we worry about our marriages, we worry about our work and our financial situation. Why, we worry about just about everything. And there are even times when worry threatens to consume and eat up our lives. And our Father knows this. And that's why he speaks to us in a special way through his son, Jesus Christ. And what does the only begotten son of the heavenly father say? Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. And why should one not worry also in this year, 2008? Because it's useless. And it's needless. When you do it, does it help you to add hours or cubits to your life? When you do it, does it add food, drink, or clothing to your life? No, it's a useless exercise. 
And as well, the Lord Jesus says, it's, it's needless because your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows what you need in 2008. And He will supply what you need as well in 2008. Answer 120 of the Catechism says, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. God will provide. Believe in His care. Depend upon his provision. So, beloved, do you see what a source of riches and blessings there is in that one word, that one name of God, the name Father? There is no better way to begin praying than armed with this form of address. But then, of course, the Lord Jesus doesn't limit it to the word Father. He maybe does in the Gospel according to Luke, but not in the Gospel according to Matthew. For there he puts a little prefix before it. Indeed, it's, it's very little, but it's not insignificant, and it's the word Our. In other words, he's stressing that this Father is Our Father. What does that mean? What does that imply? Well, for one, it reminds us every time again that we, we do not pray in isolation, nor is praying a purely personal and exclusively individualistic kind of undertaking. Of course, praying is something that each and every one of us has to do personally. No one can do it all for us. No one can exempt us from it. We all need to pray one by one, person by person, believer by believer. And yet as we pray, we need to have this awareness that praying is never just about me and my and my. When we are praying, we are praying as part of God's covenant people. When we pray, we do not just think of ourselves. We think of all the people of God. We think of the needs of believers everywhere. You see, this is very much a family prayer, a corporate prayer, a communal prayer. And that means for 2008, when you pray, look beyond yourself. And your own personal, private, cozy surroundings. Indeed, consider the needs of your fellow believers. Be reminded that through the Spirit you form one body with them. And it's one body in which believers love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, speak the truth to one another, serve one another, encourage one another, teach one another, pray for one another. 
The scripture is sprinkled throughout with that expression, one another. So when we pray, we pray as a member of the body of Christ. And we pray for all the members. And do not underestimate the power and the effect of such a prayer. For the Father not only hears it, he also has the ability to do whatever is asked of him. And how do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus teaches not only Father and our Father, but you'll notice in Matthew's Gospel, he also adds, in heaven. Why does the Lord Jesus add those two little words in heaven? And what do they mean? Some think, well, that means farther way out there somewhere, or farther way up there somewhere. But literally, however, the words in heaven mean in the heavens or all around us. And then I realize that we have come to think of heaven as the place above us, But you know, really, it actually includes everything that's under and beneath us as well. As a matter of fact, we are surrounded by the heavens. Have you ever seen a picture of the earth and its place in relation to the universe? There is space all around us. So the words in heaven should remind us that God is all around us, on every side. And think in this regard of Psalm 139 and what it says about God's omnipresence. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise, if the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. And your right hand will hold me. It doesn't matter where you go. Our Father in heaven has you firmly in his grip. And yet, beloved, there's also something else. For this expression in heaven also means that God is on the throne. Matthew 5, 34 and 35 come to mind. But I tell you, Jesus says, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Did you catch that heaven represents God's throne? Heaven, in other words, is the center, the focal point, the power center of the universe and of all creation. Heaven is the headquarters of everything. And that's 
where our Father lives. That's the place from which He rules. That's where He sits enthroned. And that's where His Son sits beside Him on His right hand today. And so, beloved, as you step out into 2008, do so with this prayer on your lips and with this confidence in your heart that we have God as Father, as our Father, as our Heavenly Father, as our Father through Jesus Christ. He's the greatest Father of them all. And it's because of Him that we can live as His children in this world thankfully, joyfully, confidently, and expectantly every day. Let's pray. Almighty God, what a treasure What a benefit, what a blessing that we may call you and know you and love you as Father. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are not just God the Creator, that you are not just Lord God the Provider, that you are not just the Lord the God of the Covenant, but that all of these names have to be seen from out of the perspective of the name Father. The Father who loves us and knows and understands us. The Father who provides for us and protects us every day. And therefore, because of all of that, we do not fear a new year. We do not fear what it will bring. We do not fear what will happen to us. We do not fear what will happen to our loved ones either. For we know that your children are firmly in your hand. Thanks to the great work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us. Help us to face the future with good confidence and help us also, Father, to deal with the setbacks and the disappointments that will also come along. Always being reminded that we do not struggle alone for we are your children and you are leading us, leading us onward to the great and glorious future that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.